it's really a misnomer when we say we are educating children. Children are educating themselves. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. One of the very first curiosity quotes I came across when I was getting started with Choose to be Curious was a wonderful line from Eleanor Roosevelt. I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother for the most useful gift, that gift would be curiosity. As I've learned more, it seems like We've all got fairy godmothers because children are indeed endowed with remarkable curiosity. But somewhere along the way, everyone seems to agree, something changes and that curiosity wanes. But does that have to be true? This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. If you've listened to enough of my shows, you know there are certain themes that come up a lot and that one show will often inspire another. That's very much the case this time. Some weeks ago, I interviewed Jamie Giraud, a researcher at the University of Virginia who's looking at curiosity, science thinking, uncertainty, and kids. In a clip that didn't actually make it into that episode, Jamie spoke about some promising educational models that she's curious to study further. So that made me think of conversations I'd had with Kate McCauley, another guest and Choose to be Curious sponsor, thank you, Kate, about work she's done in helping to train Montessori teachers in collaboration with Chandra Fernando. Chandra is an educational consultant and has spent 30 years as program director at the Maryland Center for Montessori Studies and academic dean at the Montessori School in Maryland, and then served as the program director at the Northern Virginia Montessori Institute. So she really knows this model, one that may be less familiar to some of us. I'm delighted to have her joining me all the way from Sri Lanka, where we're hoping, for many reasons, that the monsoons hold off so we can talk. Welcome, Chandra. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. It's great to have you here. So let's assume that our listeners don't know much about the founder, Maria Montessori, and the inspiration for her work. What was the problem she was trying to solve? Well, she was actually uh, one of the first women medical doctors in Italy. And she was an only child. And uh, in her day, women did not go and try to become doctors or engineers, but she was different as she was a revolutionary. So uh, first she wanted to be an engineer and her father said no. Then she wanted to be a doctor. And so it was a very difficult time because she was the only medical student who was a woman. She had to go in the night by herself to dissect the cadavers because the, the men would not be there when, when, when she was doing it. So it was very, very difficult. And um, she almost gave up, except one day she was walking back home to her mother's house. She was very downhearted because she didn't think these men will ever let her finish her medical studies. As she was walking in near the park, she saw this little girl dancing around with her mother. Mm-hmm. And something, something awakened her interest in that. And so then as soon as you know she became a doctor, 
she uh, became interested in education, trying to figure out how children learn. So she, she started at the University of Rome. There was a lab school where children with learning differences were there. And she started with them. And then she went back to the university and uh, did a degree in anthropology and educational psychology. There was a tenement, they call it a tenement, a poor uh, part of Rome. This man was building some uh, apartments and for these poor people. And the, these poor people who were living there were going to work and there were children there. They didn't have anybody to look after the children. So the children did all kinds of things as they do. They're curious. <laughs> <laughs> so they, their curiosity got the better of them and they started, you know, looking at all of these and opening these and uh, feeling these and all that. And the man got really angry and, and he had heard about Dr. Montessori. And uh, he said, can you do something with these children? I didn't know that backstory. That's fascinating. So in reading, in preparation for this conversation, I came across something that said a lot of Montessori education is simply about learning how to learn. Is that what she was trying to do? Well, now you know where curiosity comes in. <laughs> <laughs> what she was doing was she was observing children. Yeah. Several times she went back to the University of Rome and she was the chair of the anthropology department and all of that. And then she had this classroom of students. Those students she sent to observe these children who were in this, in this little place where they didn't have anything to do and all of that. So she started reading. There was a, a French doctor named Etard and then his pupil was Sagan, who came to the United States later on. She read everything and she translated this book, one book that he had written 600 pages by hand. Oh my goodness. She translated it into English and then found out that in, in, the, in the US, somebody was already finished do, finishing <laughs> but you know that's one of the things that 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 we are always told as teachers you know you need to really work hard you know to do anything so when you're talking about learning how to learn as you know she felt that children have a natural curiosity right i mean it's pure curiosity so learning how to learn is you let the children in an environment that is calm and serene, you create an environment and you put materials and all of that and you let the children be there. And then the children learn things on their own because it's, it's really a misnomer when we say we are educating children. Children are educating themselves. And nice. now we know that the children, the, the babies, they make their own brain. They, they develop their own brain. So this, these things are in her book such a long time ago. I love her idea of the absorbent mind, that we're just, 
we're just naturally sponges. We just need to be around things that we can absorb. And I think it's really interesting, this idea about children being given the opportunity to choose and, and act freely within a calm, sort of somewhat orchestrated environment, and that they would act spontaneously for their own optimal development. That's very affirming and optimistic. She believed that this, that we all have what she called human tendencies. These human tendencies are certain predispositions that humans have. And so curiosity is one of them. Yeah. You know, imagination is one of them. Order is one of them. So human tendencies are predispositions of human beings in a natural stage. Mm -hmm. And so that is why uh, things like order, things like, you know, exploration, imagination, activity, those are things that we naturally have a tendency for. So I know that beauty and sequence are in that list as well. It's it's really an interesting list of things that, that she's observed as human traits, really, and then created systems to amplify or reinforce those traits. And that's different, isn't it, than a lot of educational models? As she said, I did not invent the Montessori method. I just took what the children gave me and put it into some form. That's what she said. So it's all on observation. Teachers are trained highly in observation. And it's a special kind of observation, which is not a clinical observation that normally psychologists will tell you about. Her observation was through the love for the child. So there is an emotional part that she brings into it. Mm-hmm. It is not kind of a cold observation. You know, sometimes I find some teachers who are not experienced, they always look for something wrong the child is doing. Mm. So, you know, when you're the academic dean and the teachers come to you and say, oh, this child did this and this and this. I used to say to the teachers, write down three things that you were very happy about that this child did. And the whole thing turns around because it's our perception of what you see. So Montessori teachers are trained, very highly trained in observation. The whole method is based on observation. And so when we are talking about beauty and all of that, what she is saying is we have to give the best to the child. So when you prepare the environment, we call it the prepared environment. The classroom is called Mm -hmm. the prepared environment. So we have a prepared environment and we have a prepared teacher. She talked about a triad. So there's a triangle, there's the child, there's the environment, and there's the adult. So whether you talk about the home environment or the school environment, those three things are there. And of course, the child is really the center of the environment. So the child is central to our classrooms. It is not about what we want to do. We have to follow the child. 
And so when, when um, you're, you were talking about the absorbent mind, there are two, that is when the child is young, from birth to six years. Uh -huh. There are two things that the, that the child is guided by. One is the absorbent mind, because he absorbs everything that he sees and hears and all through his senses. And the other one, she named it sensitive periods. Now in modern literature, they call it critical periods. If you read any of these neuroscientist things, that, that is what they call it, I critical know. periods. Actually now because of neuroscience, you can actually see the brain waves on a PET, PET scan, how this, these sensitive periods work. So when a child sees, again, going back to curiosity, when a child sees something, he's attracted to that. And then you can actually see the brain waves working. So, so the teachers are trained, but in your, in your triangle, you talk about the adult. So part of a child, part of a child's life, that's a teacher, but more it's maybe a parent or a guardian of some sort. What are some of the things that you would want parents or guardians to know or do? Nowadays, they spend more time with us than with their parents. Well, that's but probably true for a lot like, of them, yeah. It, it wasn't yeah. like that earlier. So th that is one of our challenges, mm -hmm. is to do parent education, because Montessori is so different from oh. any other system. So we have to train our parents you know, don't give too much help. The child can do it himself. Child is what always saying to us, I can do it myself. Whether he verbalizes it or not, because he has to give out there because that of that curiosity, he has to go there and touch that and look at it. And you know, that has to be encouraged. So that is a part that is a challenge for us when mm -hmm. we have parents who want to do everything for the child. Mm -hmm. So the children learn through experimentation. It's very scientific. Which also means they're learning through failure, right? And for your parents, that's, that's one of the hard things to see happen, right? You don't want to see your kids fail, and yet that's how they learn. Exactly. They, they, they make mistakes. Mistakes are very important in Montessori. So... It, they, they learn by making mistakes mm -hmm. and they correct their own mistakes all the time. Now, there are some self-correcting materials, but there are others that you really have to, you know, put yourself into. Um, so one is the inherent capacity to learn. Children have an inherent capacity, inherent curiosity. And then they, there has to be self-directed exploration. So... But you want to make sure the children are safe and it's effortless learning. But Dr. Montessori said, play is the child's work. Before they can enroll in a Montessori school, we have a parent handbook and we have all kinds of parent education things. Before the child is even accepted, we bring the parent and the child and and let the parents see the child in an environment where he is free. Mm -hmm. You know how parents are so scared that they might break that. Here, 
you can break anything. It's okay, you know? So that those kinds of attitudes, you have to teach the parents. Mm-hmm. But in the classroom, we don't have a problem with that because everybody is doing, you know, their own thing. They're helping one another. Remember, it's a multi-age group. And so it's a natural group again, like a natural family group. So we have three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds in the same environment. They help one another. They teach one another. Even if you are small, you you might be teaching an older child something. So it's a very natural environment. And that natural curiosity is constantly being supported by the teacher. That, that is the wonder of it. If you just let these children free, we give them time, large blocks of time. We give them freedom of movement, freedom of choice. Now the way we do that is it's, it's all through this trained teacher. The teacher has to know where the, how the absorbent mind works in this child. Through training, they can see the sensitive periods. What is this child sensitive to? Maybe numbers, maybe colors, maybe animals. So the teacher's job is to bring those things and have it available and then show children how things are done. Sometimes when you try to teach them something, they already know. They have, looked, they have seen somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. children do it. And so, so it's a lot of fun, but it is hard work because you have to be constantly observant. You, you cannot stop them from repeating. Repetition is a great thing we have found. I mean, now in the literature I read, I, I'm surprised how things that they never used to say, now they are doing. And I think we have to thank our neuroscientists. Because Montessori was not accepted by educators in the United States. They had their own way of doing things. And actually, until the neuroscientists came up with all of the, where they could see the brain and how this was done, we, we have a lot of support from them. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. So I want to take a slight detour because I know that Maria Montessori believed that education had an important role in achieving world peace. And she said something like, preventing conflicts is the work of politics, but establishing peace is the work of education. And that if children were allowed to develop according to their own inner laws of development, that that would give rise to a more peaceful and enduring civilization. So I recently did a show with Alp Ozerdam, the Dean of the Carter School for Peace and Conflict Resolution. And what would you, what would you like him to know or be able to draw from Montessori that could influence how he thinks about this? I would like him to come and observe a Montessori classroom. Because when you observe a Montessori classroom, you will see the peace. You will see the conflict resolutions. Oh my gosh, one day I was in a classroom in Virginia 
and I was sitting and watching and then this one child went to get something from the chef because they have the freedom to choose. As she went to get it, another child went and got it. And then they had this little discussion. You know, I had it first. And then the other child said, well, I have put the rug here because I was going to get it. So th they were talking about it. And then they said, let's go to the peace table. Oh, wow. And the teacher and the assistant had no idea. I was watching it from this side. And they went to the peace table and we have a peace rose. We have little rose. And the teacher, of course, has taught in one of the, her group lessons. So if you have the rose, you're the one who can speak. The other one has to listen. Then you give it to the other one. So these two went on. And finally, they started giggling. <laughs> and they said, okay, you can do it. I'll do it after you. You know, I mean, it's, I don't think they were more than four years old. And I was like, oh, this is a Montessori classroom, you know. So wonderful. that is why trained Montessori's are very important Montessori teachers. Uh, if you take shortcuts in the training, well, I mean, I'm on the peace committee of the American Montessori Society. So peace is a part of Montessori. That is why it's kind of interesting because it's like oasis in the desert. <laughs> no matter where you go, you put the Montessori in there and that's, that everything is the same. If, I mean, you can go to Greece into a Montessori classroom, you will see the same things, same kinds of materials, same way of doing things. It is the most marvelous thing, you know? Now, when I'm in Sri Lanka, that's, you know, that's what I do. I go and, and uh, uh, I help with the training center here. Uh, there's the, the same training center where I took some training earlier. It's the same way you treat one another. So all you do is you put this into another place. <laughs> you know, so I think that's the wonder of Montessori. Lovely. So wonderful analogy on the oasis in the desert. And are you ready for my big jar of wannabe analogies? Okay. So I'm going to take out three slips of paper, one for you, one for me, and one for the audience. And we're each going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. And um, yours is magnifying glass. Mine is amethyst, and I have one for the audience. So would you like me to go first, or do you want to give it a shot? Whichever one you like. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll try. Ooh, I'll try amethyst. Okay. Naturally occurring stone. Um, well, uh, curiosity is like an amethyst that we have, to, we have to dig for it. And then once we extract it, we chip away at it, we polish it, we shine it, and we... And we make something that's valuable and beautiful for us and for others <laughs> to enjoy. That's how curiosity is like an amethyst. How is curiosity like a magnifying glass? I think that's, that's just 
it, it's just made that way. I mean, <laughs> curiosity is like a magnifying glass. You have to realize that curiosity isn't just nuts, as some people say, wanting to know or, you know, looking at knowledge. Curiosity is beyond what you see. Um, curiosity is making connections with what you see or what you hear or what you, whatever you have the senses to. But so curiosity is not just knowledge where you ask a question and you get an answer. That's not curiosity. Curiosity is going beyond that to make the connection. And yeah. the magnifying glass is a wonderful thing. If you take one of those pine cones and look at it through the magnifying glass, you will see a whole different world. You know, a really wonderful world. So I think that's how I think. Uh, I like that a lot. An audience, yours is dictionary. How is curiosity like the dictionary? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Chandra, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for this and the heat and the rain of Sri Lanka. And I'm so glad that we finally got to connect. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I find that, you know, you have a lovely way of discussing things. It's just, just you know, really a real Montessori way. <laughs> I take that as a high compliment. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me, Lynn. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your dictionary analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Chandra Fernando, to Kate McCauley for the introduction, and Jamie Giro for the inspiration. You can find my conversation with Jamie on my website, as well as other great links about Montessori Method. Many thanks, too, to Sean Ballack, product of the Montessori Method for our theme and other music. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.